Well, good morning, church. I'll try again. Good morning, church. Yeah, it's a little better. Good morning, good morning. Hey, um, if we haven't yet met, my name is Paul Pretty. Um, I get to be the teaching pastor here at LifePoint Church in, in uh, Marion. and just so grateful to have you uh, with us today to worship Jesus. Uh, so thankful for our team who leads us in worship every morning. Hey, if you're a guest this morning, just a quick note for you. Number one, I'm so grateful that you're here. Um, there in front of you are some QR codes. Uh, there's some stanchions in the back with QR codes. If you would scan one of those before you leave this morning, it will direct you to lpguest.com. While you're there, there's a digital guest information card. If you take 30 seconds, fill that out. We would love to connect with you. We'll also donate $5 in your honor to one of our partner ministries if you do that. And so we'd love to bless one of our uh, ministries here in town uh, just as a way of saying Thanks. Uh, well, again, just so grateful uh, to worship alongside of you this morning. Today, we're kicking off a brand new series called Playlist, All right, as you can hopefully see on the screens there. Uh, and in this series, what we're going to be doing is walking through five different psalms, okay? If you're not familiar with the Bible much, uh, number one, I'm so thankful that you're here, but the psalms, uh, it's, it's really poetry. Uh, there's 150 of them, and it is uh, writing uh, just so many different emotions to God. And one of the things I'm really excited about in, in this study uh, of the Psalms is there are emotions of, of grief, there are emotions of thanksgiving, there are emotions of praise, there are emotions of worship. It's really the gamut, if you will, of the human experience. And what I love about the Psalms is the Psalms give us language to rightly express our emotions to God. And to see that God sees us, that God knows what it is we're walking through, that God knows the ups, the downs, the peaks, and the valley, that God knows where we are. And the Psalms will direct our hearts and our attentions and our affections to Him, and that will result in the praise of His glory and the goodness of our souls. And so that's what we get to do over the next five weeks, and I'm really, really excited about that. Now, the big idea, the main thing we're going to say each and every week in this series is that God writes the lyrics of our souls in the Psalms. Say that five times fast. <laughs> right? That God writes the lyrics of our souls in the Psalms. And, and again, I'm just really excited to see how it is that the language the Bible gives us to rightly worship God. And so today, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 103. All right, Psalm 103. If you have your Bibles, that's fantastic. If you don't have a Bible with you, we will have the text on the screens for you as well. Psalm 103 is written by a guy named David. David is remembered as the great king of Israel. Of course, uh, there's Jesus who's the ultimate king. Uh, but the, the wonderful thing about David is how just flawed he is. David was considered to be a man after God's own heart, and yet David, time and time and time again, fell short. And time and time again, in the life of David, what we see is the steadfast love of God beyond the failures that we express to God. And so in this psalm, what we're going to see is a just praising and a worship of who God is. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get into the text. All right, Father, I'm so just grateful to have the opportunity to worship together. So grateful for your word that it guides us. Father, as we look at just this praising psalm of you, would you direct our hearts toward you? Would you help our hearts be overwhelming with praise for who you are? Father, would you get me out of the way and help me just communicate clearly what your word says? And, and Holy Spirit, would you take these words and would you make them powerful, 
unto salvation, unto sanctification. Lord, we need you. We love you. It's in Christ's name we come to you. Amen. All right, Psalm 103. Uh, Again, David lived about a thousand years before Jesus, just to understand historically where we are. Psalm 103 begins with this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There's two things I want to point out here. Uh, Number one is this word, bless. All right, the word bless. Typically, when we use the word bless, we think of it as a from God to us experience, don't we? Say, oh, I was so blessed to get that job, or we are so blessed with this family, or we are so blessed to to have this facility, or we are so blessed financially, or whatever it may be. We, we, We attribute blessing to God, something God does from him to us, and that's right and good. That is the common usage of the word bless. And yet, in this particular psalm, what it seems to be saying is that, that David, us, we are blessing God. And as I was sort of wrestling with that, I'm like, well, what in the world does that mean? Those are always the right questions to ask, like, I don't understand. It's okay when you're reading the Bible, that's good. So I was wrestling through, okay, what, what does this mean? And so I looked at some other instances in different passages, looking at this, this usage. And so what David is doing here is, is as we'll see, to bless God is to go to God in praising thankfulness, right? To bless God is to express a praising thankfulness for who God is, for what God has done, for who he is to us. And so we get to bless God by just praising him in in an abundance of thankfulness. But I think to do that, in order to bless God, to, to have an abundance of thankfulness in our hearts, we need to know what we are thanking God for, don't we? And once again, I want to point us to a specific word. If you noticed in verse 2, it used the word benefits. It said, remember or forget not. Let me look exactly what it said. right? And forget not all his benefits. And once again, that was a word that threw me a little... It threw me for a loop a little bit because I don't typically think of God in the form of benefits. To me, benefits seems very human. Don't we make our decisions in life oftentimes based upon pros and cons, based upon list of benefits. I'm going to take this job because this benefits me in this way. I'm going to do this because this is this benefit to me. It seems almost self-serving. And I was like, okay, is that, is that right? And so I checked a couple of other translations, and once again, the word benefits was used. And so I think with that setup, what we can see is that the rest of Psalm 103, this is amazing, is we're going to actually see the benefits of God. And what I want to really ask us this morning is, what are the benefits of God? What is the benefit of following God versus not? What is the benefit of of aligning our lives and, and giving everything to God, which he commands us to do? What's the benefit? And again, this language is a little bit uncomfortable to me at first, but the scriptures use it. David, guided by the Holy Spirit, uses this word to describe this relationship he has with God. And so this morning, what we're going to be doing, walking through Psalm 103, looking, looking at the benefits of God. That being said, I want to pick, pick back up. Uh, we're going to go ahead and, and read verses uh, 2 through 5. 2 is connected to 3, 4, and 5. So I'm going to pick up there. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now again, here come the benefits. 
just a non-exhaustive list, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Honestly, we could probably just read these first three verses and it's like, God is enough, is he not? These are the benefits of God, church. Astounding benefits of God. And very specifically, I think these, these three first verses have to do with, with this redemption from the pit that we've experienced. The way I'll say it this morning is, is God forgives all our iniquity. Isn't that what David said? He forgives all our iniquity. He forgives all our sin. He forgives us. And I think sometimes we forget how good forgiveness feels because we often fail to own, recognize, and repent for the mistakes and the sins that we've committed. Right? Don't we so often forget how, for, how good forgiveness is because we don't actually own our mistakes? About four, four and a half, maybe five years ago, we were renovating the LifePoint Delaware location. It's just a pattern, a lot of renovation, right? And so uh, we, were, we were renovating, and, and if you're not familiar, LifePoint Delaware is in what used to be a Bueller's grocery store. And so it was a lot of demo to get this place ready. And so we were in this demolition phase, and myself, um, another pastor on staff who was about 20 years older than me, and the, um, the general sort of project manager were together, and there's this big, giant glass window. And the one guy, he's like, dude, you should throw a hammer through that glass window. And I was like, yeah, I should. That would be awesome. Anyway, and so I get a hammer and a big, giant glass window, and I throw this hammer, and my life group, you guys just heard this story recently, so I'm sorry for the redundancy here, but I throw this hammer at the glass window, and the hammer comes back at me. Now, look, I, I was a pitcher in college, um, Division three, so not that big of a deal, right? So not, not that impressive. But anyway, I mean, I threw this thing pretty hard. Didn't break. Hammer comes back at me. So then the, the general, sort of the, the construction dude, he's like, get a sledgehammer, it's tempered glass, break the tempered glass, then go get your hammer before the whole thing shatters, throw it through. I'm like, okay. So I get the, get the sledgehammer, smash the window, it's all, you know, crackled and shattered, then I go get my hammer, and I'm not having this thing come at me a second time. And so I give it all I have, and it goes through the window, and it keeps going, and going, and going. It's like the Energizer Bunny. I mean, this thing just goes. Now, what I did not tell you is that at the same time I was doing this, there was a group of retired contractors who had volunteered their time, saved us tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars of free labor. Well, they were near the other side of that window. And so I chucked this hammer, and it goes past this retired construction guy. And let me tell you what, he is not happy. Shockingly, I don't know why. <laughs> and in this moment, the, the, the other pastor on staff, who's not with LifePoint anymore, not because of this situation, the other guy, they, they both look at me and they say, you better apologize. And I'm like, me? You got it. So anyway, so all of a sudden, in an instant, I feel like I am seven years old again and I just got scolded by my grandmother. You know what I mean? You just feel so small and stupid. Oh, just embarrassing. So I, this big group of, of, you know, just construction guys, I, just, I keep that picture in my head, and they're all staring at me, and I have to say, I'm so sorry. I did something really dumb. And they just looked at me, and they didn't say anything. I'm so sorry. Like, this one guy in particular, the one who was almost killed, 
He was so angry. He threatened to leave the job, and he didn't come back for weeks. And we never actually reconciled, he and I. He, he never said, no, I forgive you. It's a dumb mistake. He looked at me like, you are an idiot, and he walked away. And that tension, I never felt that forgiveness, right? I never felt that sort of resolution. And, and therefore, I have this regret of like, why did I do that? And I think that's a very relatable feeling to so many of us. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I treat them in this way? I knew better. Why did I lie? Why did I, you fill in the blank, why did I keep going to that thing? What is your experience in these situations? Because, church, I believe that regret is often the residue of sin. Is it not? When we sin and we don't deal with our sin and we don't have our sin forgiven, oftentimes what happens is the residue of that sin clings to us and it manifests itself in the form of regret. And so we go living our lives in constant regret, in constant, why did I say that? Why did I do that? You think of that one moment five years ago and you're like, oh, regret, regret is oftentimes the residue of sin. And now, church, I want us to go back to what David says. I just want to put, put these verses on the screen for you. They're right here. I'm just going to read them off. Who forgives all your iniquity. Church, we have all sinned. We have all made mistakes. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And God does not see us based upon our iniquity. He does not see us based upon our sin. He does not see us based upon our mistakes. When we have faith in Christ, God sees us based upon who Christ is. And he forgives us. And we have reconciliation. And we no longer have to live in regret because we've ultimately been forgiven of our iniquity. He goes on, who heals all your diseases. Church, the greatest disease we have is the disease called sin. Because the underlying disease of sin is what manifests itself in all forms of brokenness. Everything broken we see in the world is the direct result of sin. Jesus Christ heals us of the disease of sin. He goes on, who redeems your life from the pit. Anybody in here feel like they've been in a pit? Mistake after mistake after mistake. What am I doing? Why is life so hard? How can I possibly continue to do this over and over again? And God sees you. He says, you're mine. I want you. I'm going to take you out of that pit. I see you in that pit. I don't reject you in the pit. I don't leave you in the pit and say, suffer. I see you and I rescue you from it. Megan read from Ephesians 1 earlier in Ephesians 2. It talks about we were dead in our sins and transgressions, but God. But God, being rich in mercy, he redeems us and he forgives us. And I know I just misquoted that, but he sees us, right? He says, who crowns us with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. A little bit of figurative language here. Remember, it's a poem. But I don't know about you, but something wonderful, something wonderful sounding about being renewed, being made into a new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you are now therefore a new creation in Christ. The old is dead, the new is here. And again, he crowns you with the steadfast love and mercy. 
You can receive love. You can receive mercy. You can receive grace all through faith in Christ. The benefits of God. These are yours. Do you believe them? Have you owned them? Have you received them by receiving Christ first? You no longer have to walk in the definitions that have been given to you by others. You must live by what Christ has done for you and by who God the Father says you are when you belong to Christ. Benefits of God are stunning. Now, continuing on, verses 6 and 7 say this, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Now, these verses, verses 6 and 7 in particular, you can leave them on the screens for a second, these have to deal with really a physical oppression. And the reason I know these have to deal with a physical oppression, while the verses we just read had very much to do with a spiritual oppression, these very much have to do with a physical oppression because what we did is is David linked in Moses and he, he connected with Israel. And I feel like I tell this story every week, but the Bible is just constantly reminding us of Israel in slavery in Egypt because it's a symbol and a picture and a story that represents our slavery in sin. Right? And so he says, look, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel, and we are reminded of what God did in liberating Israel from Egypt, are we not? As I was thinking through that story this week, I was just reminded how initially, do you guys remember how Moses tried to gain freedom for Israel initially? Remember, he was brought up in Pharaoh's household. He knew he was a Hebrew. He knew He knew who he was, and and so he goes out one day, and he sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite. And so what he does is he goes to that Egyptian, and he kills that Egyptian, and he hides his body. He's trying to liberate Israel with physical force, but it doesn't work. Eventually, what has to happen is, is Moses has to flee. He goes out into the world, into the wilderness for 40 years. He lives with his Father-in-law, he shepherds sheep. See, what I want us to see here is that so often, church, we fight physical oppression. We fight physical oppression with, with really uh, physical um, violence, in a sense. Right? We, we fight physical oppression with physical activity. And while physical activity is often needed, what I want to be real clear of, church, here is that we also need God involved in the process. See, because when God came to Moses and he said, hey, I want you to go back, and Moses is an old man, he's 80 years old, he says, I want you to go back, and Moses does, and there are these miracles that are performed, and God really works through Moses, and there's this combination of physical efforts, physical things being done, and a clear spiritual force, and the spiritual force, God, is the one who actually liberates the people. Now, as I say this, and as I sort of make this point here that true physical liberation requires both physical and spiritual intervention. As I say that, I want to be abundantly clear, church, that if you are in any form of abuse right now, if you are being physically abused, sexually abused, verbally abused, if you are in physical danger of any kind, you need to seek safety immediately. You need to tell someone immediately. You do not need to hide. There is no shame in this for you. You need to seek safety. And you need the power of God. If we truly want to find healing, you truly need healed. If we truly want to see change in the person that's abusing or in the oppression 
that we're experiencing, we need that person to be transformed by the power of God, do we not? Yes, there's physical things we need to do. We need to seek safety. We need to, to, there's at times aggression is certainly needed. I'm not saying if you get attacked, don't defend yourself. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is if you want true, lasting liberation, you need the true, lasting, powerful intervention of God. And so I don't know where we are this morning. I don't know what situations you find yourselves in. But what I do know is that that physical oppression, whatever that might be, maybe it's in the form of addiction, again, maybe it's in the form of abuse, and all of the things I said, seek safety immediately, tell someone. Whatever that physical oppression is that you are experiencing, God is the only one who can ultimately heal you from that experience. And the reason I know that is because physical oppression, physical injustice, yes, it beats and batters our bodies, but it beats and batters our souls as well. And God is the only one who can heal our soul, is he not? Because he is the only one who created our soul. And so if you want healing and restoration, you need to involve God in the process. God is the only one who can truly free you from oppression. And what he says, according to these verses, is that God will, God will deliver justice. Yes, we have our forms of justice that is great and needed and good. But God is the only one who can deliver ultimate justice. Now, the text goes on. Again, that's just another benefit of God, right? That he delivers ultimate justice and he heals us and renews us. Picking back up in verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And you might be thinking, well, how is that possible? Right? If, God, if God inflicts justice upon those who have been oppressors, and if I am a sinful, broken person, as I am, and as we all are, how could God treat me in this way? How could God not remember my sins? How could God see my, my sins as far as the east is from the west? How could God view my sins as far as the heavens are from the earth? How could that be possible? And the only answer is that through faith in Jesus, God deals with us according to Jesus. Once again, a benefit of God through faith in Jesus, God deals with us and sees us according to Jesus. You see, we're all still broken. We all still have issues. I want this to be a place where it's more of a hospital. We need to understand that when we're coming in here, we're broken. We're, we got issues. We got flaws. We got problems. We don't need to hide from that. Never should a church be filled with people who believe they're perfect. And yet, God sees us as perfect through faith in Christ because God sees Jesus in our place. Because God sees the sacrificial, the sacrificial payment for sins in our place. God sees Jesus hanging on the cross in our place. God sees Jesus' blood on our account. And so he doesn't deal with us according to our transgressions and according to our sins. In fact, 
He sees them as clean, as wiped away, as no longer existent because he sees Jesus in our place. And so maybe you are in a position right now this morning where you're feeling again this guilt, the shame, whatever it may be. I just want to point you to Jesus because when you really understand what Jesus has done for you, suddenly your entire view of yourself changes because now you're a beloved heir of Christ. You're a beloved child of God. You are known, you are seen. I love the way the Apostle Paul says it in Romans 8, 17. He says, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that, he may also be, that we may also be glorified with him. It all comes back to Jesus, doesn't it? If we want these benefits of God, and I believe we do, everything comes back to Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. Now, this particular psalm, there are several verses toward the end, which just are a general sort of all things, angels, all things, praise the Lord. That's how it sort of ends, I believe, in, in 20 through 22. But I want to focus in here on, on 14 through 19. First, we'll, we'll deal with 14 through 16. It says this, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows no more. I, I love this because it just reminds us of our fragility. We are so finite. Remember back when God created us, he formed us out of dust. So he formed Adam, and then he breathed life into Adam. And so while we are formed out of dust, our bodies, once again, return to dust. We flourish like a flower, and then in a moment, we're gone. I have a, somebody close to me who they've seen this sort of reality, that life is short. That one second they're here, and then all of a sudden, it, while it seems like a while, maybe while we're living, all of a sudden we look back and our entire life is gone. And this particular individual does not believe in the existence of God. And so what happens is this individual is just driven to make some form of lasting impact that will outlive his life. He's consumed by his work. He's, in many ways, I believe, become a slave to his work because he, believe his, he believes his work will be the only thing that lasts beyond his life. And I think we can buy into that at times. We think, well, I have to leave this lasting legacy, and we do want to leave a legacy, and we'll get to that in a moment. But we need to be encouraged and comforted, understanding and knowing that, that it says God's love is from everlasting to everlasting. What that means, church, is that while our bodies die, our souls were made to live forever. And when we die, our souls either go into the presence of God or into separation from God. Right? Our souls live on forever, either with God or apart from God. But the scriptures are also clear that one day there will be a bodily resurrection. One day we will receive new bodies because God will make things new. He'll make everything new. I love the way, again, the Apostle Paul, he talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, 40 through 42. He says, there are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And the stars differ from the star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. So what's the benefit 
lot of us live with a lot of aches and pains. <laughs> I know I'm young, but I hurt too. <laughs> a lot of us live in a lot of fear, but what happens when I die? What happens when my loved one dies? Through faith in Jesus, the benefit of God is they are united with God immediately. And one day they will receive an imperishable body, a heavenly body. And we, it's hard to know. Jesus, of course, was the first fruits of that. Jesus rose in bodily form and he proved that when he ate time and time again with his disciples. But I just want us to be encouraged and just think on the heavenly things of the world for a minute. The benefit of God is you will receive a new body and you will live with him forever. Now, the text, the text goes on. Right? It goes on and and we, um, we get to verses 17, 17 through 19. It says, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Church, the love of God is everlasting. It will never fail you. It will never leave you. Through faith in Christ, you will never experience a moment where you don't also experience the love of God in all, in all situations and in all circumstances, even in the hard ones. God is with you in the midst of the trial. He's with you in the midst of the hardship. His love is everlasting. And I love, church, what he says. He says in verse 17, he says, The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, his righteousness to children's children. And where I really want to land us this morning is this, this concept that I think we have to see is that the faith we have today will impact the generations of tomorrow. All right, when we think of this, these last few verses very much have to do with, with legacy. And I said we, we don't need to have a, a legacy built upon our work. We don't need to have a, a legacy established by our achievements. They will fade away. The legacy we need to be focused on is the one of faith. Because what God says here is that his faithfulness will be from generation to generation. What that means is that, that the faith we have today it will impact tomorrow and God will be faithful to continue to love the next generation, the next generation, and the next generation. And church, I just want to put in front of us what will be our collective legacy of faith. Typically, we count generations by 30 years. Every 30 years, we get to a new generation. And so I want to ask, church, is, is in 30 years, what will be the legacy that we have left for the next generation? In 60 years, how will this city be different because we love Jesus today? I want us to consider that. How will this city be transformed because we faithfully love generation, uh, Jesus day after day after day. I was at a conference this week, and, and somebody made this comment that I just loved. He said, so often when we think of the word missionary, what we think of is an individual who goes somewhere else. And that's true. There are individuals who are called by God who go out into other places, move cities, move to other nations, and proclaim the word of God to the world. Amen. Praise God. Some of you, I pray, are called to be National, global missionaries. But here's the thing. I think sometimes we think missionary calling is just to an individual, and we need to understand that all of us have actually received a missional calling upon our lives. The question is where? 
And so if you're not called maybe to the world, and again, some of you are, and some of you need to obey that call, all of us are called to be missionaries where we live. And when we think in that mindset and we think in that view, what happens is a missionary is not an individual. It's not just me. It's all of us. All of us. We are collective missionaries. The church needs to be a missionary to the city. And we think of this concept of from generation to generation. I just want to lay before us what will it look like if we collectively love Jesus and ask him to work in the only ways that he can, ask him to deliver freedom to the oppressed, ask him to to heal people, ask him to restore families, ask him to to break bondages of addiction. What if we walk alongside people who have been incarcerated? What, What does it look like, church, to faithfully love Jesus as collective missionaries? that the church would be the missionary to the city. And I cannot wait to see in five years, in 10 years, in 15 years, in 20 years, in 30 years, in 100 years, what God would use us to do. Scriptures are always clear that God is going to save people. Always going to save people. The question is, do we get to be a part of it? God does not need us. God does not need us, but he chooses to use us. And there are people in this city, there are people in your communities who need him, and he has a plan to save them. The question is, are we going to be blessed enough to be a part of the process? And to be blessed enough to be a part of the process, we first have to center our individual hearts on who Jesus is and who he has made us to be. Stunning extraordinary blessings of God. But it begins, the last point, a fear of God leads to a legacy of faith. When I say fear God, what I'm really saying is this awe, this reverence for who God is that results in faith in Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, God will take care of the rest. And he will show us his glory each and every day. And we will praise him and we will worship him. We will bless his name. Church, I think maybe the best way to celebrate that this morning and to to just be reminded of who we've been made to be and our purpose here on earth is through the partaking of communion together. As you walked in, you may have received the communion elements. If you did not, um, if you would raise your hand, I know it may be awkward. If you didn't get the elements, we have um, someone with a bucket who will walk around and give you those elements. Church, I will say... As we um, prepare to take communion, I want to be real clear here. If you're here this morning and and you would say, I'm really glad to be here, or maybe you're not. But if you don't yet have faith in Jesus, you're like, I really don't think I have a relationship with Jesus. my, My request would be, don't take communion, okay? So glad you're here, but don't take communion because communion is, is saying the body of Jesus broken for me, the blood of Jesus poured out for me. And if, if that's not true of you, I, I don't want you to say something that's untrue of you. But if you are in Christ, what I want us to do is, is scriptures would call us to take time to examine our hearts. And so what I want to do is we're just going to take a moment here. I want you to, to bow your head and, and to repent to God if you need to repent to him, to praise him if you need to praise him, But the point is to remember what Jesus has done for you. And remember, excuse me, remember who Jesus has made you to be. So church, take a moment to pray, to reflect before we take the elements of communion.
the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So together, church, we take the bread. Text goes on, it says, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so together we take the cup. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, God, you hear us. Like little children, you incline your ear to us. You know us. We are desperately flawed, Father. And you know it. <laughs> and you love us anyway. And you expressed your love through Christ on the cross. Father, this morning we got to see just even a glimpse of your benefits. That you don't leave us in the pit of despair. That you redeem us from the pit. You don't see us according to our sins, but you see us according to who Christ is. We are now sons. We are now daughters. We are now co-heirs with Christ. We praise you for that. Father, we saw how you see the oppressed, how you bring justice for the oppressed, and how you renew the oppressed. Father, would you do that this morning? Would you see those who are beaten down, who are weary, who are broken, and would they see how you desire them, how you love them, how you want them to be made new, to experience the blood of Jesus on their behalf. God, we thank you this morning. We praise your name. We bless you, oh God. And we worship you for who you are and what you've done for us on the cross of Christ. It's in Jesus' wonderful, powerful, beautiful name that we pray and that we come to you, O oh Father. Amen.